What defines you and what defines me is that you and I are made in the image of God. No matter your age, no matter your mental capacity, no matter your shape, we are part of the glorious creation of God and we are therefore a reflection of His glory no matter what our age, no matter what our body type, no matter what our mind capacity. We are a reflection of the highest part of God's glorious creation because of everything that was created, only man was made in the image of God. And so because we are made in the image of God, that is what defines you. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. turn to Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter number three. Perhaps many, many of you have probably never heard of a man by the name of John Robinson. Uh, John Robinson was the pastor to the pilgrims and one of the founders of what was known as the separatist movement. He led the pilgrims uh, from their towns and villages that they were born and raised to a little town a Dutch town called Leiden. And he helped them plan the pioneering journey on the Mayflower. And in fact, he was the instrument that was being used for the second pilgrim voyage, but would tragically die before he actually lived out his dream. John Robinson gave a charge in 1620 to the pilgrims as they were about to load the Mayflower heading to America. He said, quote, I charge you before God that you follow me no further than you have seen me follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I charge you before God that you follow me no farther than you have seen me follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read Philippians chapter 3 this morning, I would ask you to have respect for God's word to please stand as we read our text. Philippians chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 17, where Paul says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. But our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning that you would teach us your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. 
I hate, I, I hate this morning on such a uh, beautiful day with such an alert group of joyous people of the Lord, uh, but I hate to bring up bad memories. But I'm going to bring up this bad memory, but it was the bad memory of the double doink. Figure that how I'm going to work that one out. It was the bad memory of the double doink that ended a season and enraged sports radio, sports talk radio. Most of you, some of you will remember Cody Parkey of the Bears, the kicker of the NFL who had set an NFL record for rookie scoring in the previous season who had already kicked three field goals in this game against last the previous year's Super Bowl champions, the Philadelphia Eagles. So he was all spry and ready to kick this game-winning field goal. Had already made three and was very confident that he was going to make this field goal. But nevertheless, he missed the game-winning field goal and ended the Bears' season. If he would have made that field goal and they would have won the game, that would have propelled them farther in the playoffs than they had been in years. But nevertheless, Cody Parkey, even though he missed the field goal, he was not dismayed by, by, law, by the loss, even among the fact that every, everything that people had said about him. In fact, when he was asked later after the game, why didn't you dodge the press? I mean, everybody would want to do that, right? I mean, you miss a game-winning field goal. I mean, if anybody knows that, Logan, the kicker for Alabama does... You would want to dodge the press. Just kidding, Logan. Actually, I'm not. Why, why, they asked, why wouldn't you dodge the press? They knew the questions that they would ask. They knew that they were, they were going to be the hard questions. So, you know, Cody, why didn't you just dodge the press, go home to your family, enjoy the holiday, and you handled this with such serenity? Cody Parkey answered that question on the Today Show with these words. Quote, football is what I do. It's not who I am. Football is what I do. It's not who I am. Now, you may think that when the football missed, striking first the left upright and doinking off of that and hitting the crossbar and then doinking off of that and falling back in the field of play, you would think that people might have a little understanding when they find, found out that right after Cody kicked that ball, it was deflected off one of the hands of one of the Philadelphia Eagles. You might would think that they would have a little understanding and accept for the phrase, they would have had understanding. But when Cody Parkey came out with, football is, is what I do, it's not what I am, sports talk radio just erupted in rage. They said, how dare you say that football is only what you do, it's not who you are. Now the host of the Today Show was a little bit kinder to Cody. He said, you are a class act. You really showed what you're made of. But sports talk radio is not so kind, which is why they're on radio. You don't have to see their face. And they're not so kind. They said this, and I quote, this game is your gig. How you play 
determines your career and your career determines whether you are a success or a failure. Don't say that football doesn't define you. Either you can play or you can't and that is what defines you. End quote. Ow. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? But I wonder how you feel this morning. Is what you do this morning, is that what defines you? Is your career, is success for you what defines you? Is your career or the success or the lack thereof, is, is that what makes you who you are? Do you have the attitude this morning that if I didn't have my career, I would be nothing? Or if I was unsuccessful in my career, I would be nothing? Does what you do or other people's opinion of you define your relationship with your family and most importantly define your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or is it something deeper? Is it something that's soul deeper that actually, actually gives you recourse when circumstances and success fail? Because folks, listen, circumstances will fail. Success will fail. If you are in a hot spot right now, success in your career, and you are a big success in your career, guess what? The time is going to come when you're going to fall flat on your face. And that's not, that's not looking at the bleak end. That's just facts. And if you are right now in one of those moments, in one of those dry periods, but you've been in one of those successful periods, you know that the time is going to come when success in the career is not always going to be what it was. So that can't be what defines you. Because church, listen, if your career or what's inside you is what defines you, then the only thing that you and I are going to do is that we are going to double doink. Number one, we're going to doink on our relationship with our families and our friends. And number two, and most importantly, we're going to doink on our relationship with God. And so our entire life turns out to be a double doink. Just like Cody Parkey did on that famous Sunday afternoon. I find it very interesting, and I thought about this this week. I was talking to my wife coming down the road this weekend. I thought about this, that when God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden, we have absolutely no information about their age. We have absolutely no information about their weight. We have absolutely no information about the color of their skin. All the information that we have about Adam and Eve that were placed in the garden is that God created male and female, placed them in the garden, gave them the job to take care of the garden, gave them the job to reproduce and fill the earth and obey the voice of God. Because Adam and Eve were not defined by their age. We live in a society that seemingly longs to cast aside those who are of age or whose bodies or, or minds are failing them. They want to brush aside those type of people because they are a nuisance to our society. They are a bother because they are, they are increased in age. Their, their body doesn't operate like it once did and, and their minds are failing. And so they are a nuisance to our society. We live in a society where people, even unfortunately people in the church, are defined by their weight. 
We live in a society where people, even in the church, are defined by their nationality or ethnicity. But listen, church, those things are not what makes you who you are. Oh, you, you may live in a body that because you are, let me put it this delicately, you are advanced in your wisdom and you're closer to eternity than some others. You may live in a body whose mind is not as sharp as it used to be. You may live in a body that's a different shape than somebody else. But beloved, listen to me. You may, you may, that may be the reality of your life, but that is not what defines you. What defines you and what defines me is that you and I are made in the image of God. No matter your age, no matter your mental capacity, no matter your shape, we are part of the glorious creation of God and we are therefore a reflection of His glory no matter what our age, no matter what our body type, no matter what our mind capacity. We are a reflection of the highest part of God's glorious creation because of everything that was created, only man was made in the image of God. And so because we are made in the image of God, that is what defines you. And for the Apostle Paul in this text, what defines a believer can be summed up in one word. Example. What defines us as believers is example. Our defining moments are the examples that we are to other people. Running hard to gain the prize of Christ's likeness. Church, listen, that's what defines you. You're not defined because you're rich. You're not defined whether you're successful. And you're not defined just because you are a size one. And you're not defined if you are a size 51. That's not what defines you. What defines you this morning is that you're made in the image of God. And what needs to be our focus in life is not success materially. What needs to be the focus of our life is not careers. But what needs to be the focus of our life is are we like Christ? Oh yes, we need to keep our minds sharp because that honors the Lord. And we need to maintain healthy habits in our eating, yes, because that, that honors the Lord. That takes care of the temple that God, that the Holy Spirit lives in. But those things are not what defines us. If the defining church of yourself or the defining point that you place on others is based on their size or based on their ethnicity, or based on their nationality, or based on their success, listen to me, then you have a very shallow definition of purpose and worth. If the best you can go in life is I want to be successful. If the best you can go in life is, is, is that I want to make lots of money, perish the thought that a child of God's goal and ambitions in life was to make money. Perish the thought that a, that a child of God's definition of themselves or goal or, or sole goal in life was to be successful in their career. Because if we place that worth, 
If we place that tag on ourselves, we place that tag of worth on others, then we're pretty shallow. We're pretty shallow in our, in our thinking of what makes us worthy. Listen, you can live in the fear of God and you can live for the glory of God and you can live in the fear of God and be an absolute human failure in your career from human standards and in God's eyes, you are a success. Because you're defined by who you are with Christ. Not by how many cars you sell. Not by how many patients you heal. Not even by how many houses you sell. You are defined by your worth in Christ. Your purpose and your definition and your worth is found, church, in Christ-likeness. Paul began this section in verses 12 to 16 by talking about it, giving instructions on pursuing the prize. Now in verses 17 to 20, he gives instructions on obtaining the prize. You know, because it's one thing to understand that that there's a prize that, that we must pursue. But now Paul explains some key instructions on running hard to successfully win the prize. We recognize from our previous study, that there is a prize to be won. There's a prize to be pursued. And that prize for the believer is to be like Christ. That is, church, for those of you who are born again, you've been saved by the sovereign grace of God, you've repented, and you've trusted Christ alone. That is the number one, and I will say the only goal in your life is Christ-likeness. Now, does God want you to be a, 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 a... A lazy person at your job? Obviously not. Does God want you to incorporate bad habits in your your body and in your health? Obviously not. But church, listen, if we will pursue the prize of Christ's likeness, if that is our number one goal and everything else works its way out, God will take care of the other stuff. Listen, if you and I will pursue Christ's likeness, we don't need to worry about being a success because our focus is on Christ, isn't it? Paul gives us some basic instructions, but they're profound instructions to answer the question, how to gain the prize. And I want to give those to you this morning in three main headings, if we get that far. Number one, what's the number one way? We know that there's a prize. We know that there's a prize that we must pursue, and we know that the prize that we pursue is Christ's likeness. We also know that we will never be totally like Christ in this life, right? We will never reach perfection in this life. But we also know that through the example of Paul, it is something that we strive for. How do we strive for that? Number one, following after examples. Following after examples. Paul begins this section by using an encouragement that he has often used. Look at verse 17. He says, brethren, be followers together of me. Brothers, be followers together collectively of me. Now, understand that Paul, church, is not placing himself on a spiritual pedestal. Paul is not saying that he is the ultimate example of godliness. 
Because Paul, listen, Paul had just stated in a previous section that he realized that he had not attained full spiritual maturity. But Paul was encouraging the Philippian believers to follow him, an imperfect sinner, as he pursued the goal of Christ's likeness. Listen to me very clearly, church. You do not have to have, you do not have to be perfect to be an example. Okay? You do not have to be perfect to be an example. And you do not need to find the perfect person. To be, an, to be an example that you follow. You just need to find those people, imperfect as they are, that are following after and pursuing Christ's likeness. Because keep in mind, Paul, by his, Paul was not perfect by his own testimony and by his actions. Let me give you just a couple of those. Paul was a man that was given to anger. In Acts chapter 2, verses, starting in verse 3, and there, uh, Actually, it's Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23, verse 3. Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin, and they beat him. And he said to them, let me find that verse for you real quick, because I got the wrong slide up there. And uh, this is not Wichita's fault. This is my fault. <laughs> let me see if I can find this passage. You know, that's not right either. But in, in, in Acts chapter 23, I can't find it right now. In Acts chapter 23, Paul looked at these guys and he says, you whitewashed, look, at, look, there it is. It's wrong, wrong in my notes, but right on the screen. Good job there, Wichita. Then Paul said unto him, these are the guys that beat him because he dared proclaim the gospel. What did he say? You whited wall. Now that may not sound very harsh to us. Back, back in the first century, that was some pretty stern words. You whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was a high priest. I didn't know that he was a high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. And so Paul was a man that was given to anger and he spoke so angrily at the high priest and the Sadducees that he had to turn around and then apologize for his anger. Paul was a man that was not only given to anger, but Paul was a man that was given to pride. Paul, the pride of Paul's life was so severe that God had to give him a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And then 30 years after Paul's conversion to Christ, he still considered himself to be the foremost of sinners. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am what? Chief. We don't need a perfect example. We need someone who is not perfect so that we can see how to overcome the imperfections. And Paul commanded the Philippian believers in verse 17 again, Brethren, be followers of me. And listen, and mark them. You get that? Mark them which walk so as ye have us for 
An example. You know the biggest problem of those people that claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ is, and why they fail so much in their Christian life is because they do not find godly examples and follow those godly examples. They find worldly examples and they follow after that. The problem with most Christian young people today is they've got the wrong kind of friends. They've got the wrong kind of friends. Y'all remember the story in 2 Samuel about David's son, Jonadad, who raped his sister Tamar. And the Bible says that he loved his sister, and it wasn't a natural kind of love. It, uh, it wasn't a natural kind of love that a brother should have for his sister. It was a sexual, sensual kind of love. But the Bible also says that, but, but even though he loved his sister and he had, he had perverse thoughts and desires toward his sister, the Bible says of Jonadad that he, that he never thought, or Amnon rather, he never thought to do those things to his sister. But what's the Bible say? But Amnon had a friend. And his friend's name was Jonadad. And Jonadad was a very subtle man. And it was Jonadad that gave Amnon the idea of pretend like you're sick and ask your father to allow your sister to come into you to, to, to make a meal right in front of you. And when she gets in front of you and you're by yourself and she's making your meal, then you grab her at that moment and have your way with her. And that's exactly what Amnon did. Which later caused the death of Amnon by Tamar's full brother, but Amnon's half brother, Absalom. What's a, what precipitated that, church? Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend. How many young people do you know, and maybe old and not so young people that you know, that constantly are getting themselves sideways with the Lord because they just have the wrong examples. They just have the wrong friends. Listen, church, if we're going to pursue and grab on to Christ's likeness, it's going to require that we follow the right example. And if others are going to be able to find and pursue Christ's likeness, it requires that you and I be right examples. We don't have to be perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. But Paul says, follow me, e even in my imperfections, because at least I'm going the right way. Why would a Christian person want to follow the example of another person who's going the opposite way of godliness? I don't care. Listen, church, I don't care what they claim their relationship is with Jesus Christ. If they're going the opposite way of godliness, then you don't need to go that way just because they say, I'm a Christian. Because that's going to lead you down the path away from the pursuit of Christ's likeness. Follow after examples. That's how we become like Christ and be an example. Paul says there in verse 17, mark them. You know, every believer is a mentor. Whether you know it or not, you're a mentor. We usually think of mentors in a positive light. But by definition, a mentor is just someone that's trusted. Just someone that's trusted. It's not necessarily someone that gives you good advice. It's just someone that you trust. You trust someone that they're your mentor. Not necessarily means that they, they're telling you the right stuff. And the point is, is that we are all mentors. But let me ask you a question, church. Are we mentors of the holy or are we mentors of the profane? Are you following those examples of the holy 
Are you following the examples of those that are profane? And even though his example, Paul's example, was admittedly imperfect, it was nevertheless tangible and accessible. And even though you may be imperfect, and you are, but if you're pursuing the prize, church of Christ-likeness, then at least you are an accessible and tangible example for others to follow. And what you need to find is somebody that's a godly example, not perfect, but a godly example who's accessible and tangible that you can come up behind and they can lead you to Christ-likeness. Paul says in verse 17 to mark those. Okopeo, and it means to pay close attention, to take notice. Paul says, pay attention. Pay close attention and take notice to those people that walk godly ways. In fact, the, the word mark in verse 17 followed this. The word mark in verse 17 and the word goal in verse 14 share the same Greek root word. Verse 17, it is the verb form. Verse 14, it is the noun form. And what Paul is saying is that we need to observe those people that have the same goal of Christ-likeness. You find that person, church, and you be that person. Yeah, they may be success in their jobs. Great. But you find that person, and you be that person that's pursuing Christ. Because as we learned in verses verse 12 to 16, that's the prize that the church must pursue. And of course, Paul in this letter is fighting against people that have given themselves to Christian liberty and given themselves, that means, the permission to do anything they want. And Paul says, no, you need to safeguard yourself against those things and follow those people. Not to, that, not that use Christian liberty as a license to sin. But church, listen, if you want to gain Christ's likeness, you need to focus your attention on those people that have the same goal of Christ's likeness. Church, listen, the, 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 the hardest thing and the most detrimental thing for a Christian is to fall behind a believer who's going the opposite direction of Christ-likeness just because they claim Christ. Some of the most ungodly examples. I, I spent a long, long time in the business world before I became full-time pastor. I spent 25 years uh, if, with Ford Motor Company. One of the things I learned in 25 years of Ford Motor Company is I don't care what people claim about Jesus Christ, the most ungodly examples that I've ever seen are people that claim Christ. And they use that as a way to get their foot in the door. And then you've got people in the church following these examples of people that claim to have Christ but don't follow godly examples and they praise them and raise them up on a pedestal as godly examples just because they claim Christ. Church, beware. Paul says to pay attention to those people that have that goal of Christ-likeness. Church, listen, surround yourself with people that have the goal of becoming like Christ. You may think that you have Christian friends, and well, they may be. I'm not up here this morning to judge anybody's heart because I don't know it. And you may have people that call themselves Christian friends. You may work for a guy that calls himself a Christian. And well, they may be. But if that person 
That organization is not following Christ-likeness. If they are not pursuing that goal, then that's not the example that you need to find yourself filing in behind. I don't care what they claim. Paul says, mark them which walk. Pay attention to those people that walk as an example. But notice what he says again in verse 17. He uses the word walk, peripateo, and it means to conduct your life, to behave, or to live. In Scripture, and frequently in the Old Testament, the word walk is used to denote a relationship of obedience. And for example, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God, meaning that he lived a life of obedience to God. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it said Noah walked with God, meaning that Noah lived a life of obedience to God. The psalmist prayed, for example, in Psalm 86, 11, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Listen, the church needs to pay close attention to mentors who press toward the goal, who, as we saw last week, flex all their spiritual muscle for the goal of Christ's likeness. Because maturity in your life is going to come as you imitate godly believers. Every Christian today needs somebody that they can, that they can have as some type of an example. In fact, the wise Christian is the person that has several people in their life that are following uh, Christ's example. No matter how spiritually mature you believe yourself to be, and well you may be, you always need those people in your life that are wiser than you are and more godly than you. Because those who do not aim high will do what, church? They will hit it. Every time. And not only do we need to follow those examples, but we need to be those examples. Other people in the church are watching. You may not realize this, folks, but you adults, the children in the church are watching you. They're watching you. They're paying attention. And the thing about children is they're much more observant than adults. When the older we get, we seem to lose that sensitivity that the child has. Children are watching. But not only are the children watching you, but other believers are watching. They're watching what you say. They're watching what you do. And I want you to notice with me this morning a stern warning from Christ in Matthew chapter eight, 18, rather, verse 6. But whoso shall offend this, any, one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for them that a millstone were hanged about their neck and they were drowned in the depths of the sea. Tragic indeed, Jesus says, is the end of the believer who makes another believer stumble because of the way they live. Jesus said it would be better that you were drowned than to you live in such a way as to compromise my name to other people. They're watching in Proverbs chapter 22, for example, verse 24, the Bible says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Why? Verse 25. Because you'll do what? You'll learn his ways. You hang around with angry people, you'll be angry. You hang around with arrogant people, you'll be arrogant. You hang around people that flaunt the law, you'll flaunt the law. 
But you hang around people that pursue Christ and you'll pursue Christ. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, Solomon says, He that walketh with wise men shall be what? You get the picture? You tracking me? Whoso walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools will be what? Destroyed. Who is a fool? For you, who is a fool? Let me give you a definition for you of who is a fool. A fool spiritually is anyone who's not pursuing Christ's likeness. He or she's a fool. And he or she is a person who you do not need to be tucking yourself behind and using them as an example. Proverbs chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 106 verse 34. That they did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the brethren, talking about Israel, and learned their works and did what? Serve their idols which were a snare unto them. First Corinthians said, well, you can look at the entire history of Israel and most of Israel's hist- history is riddled with sin after sin after sin because when they left Egypt, they took the mixed multitude with them. They took the ungodly with them. They lined themselves up right behind the ungodly and that's what people in the church do and it needs to stop, folks. People that claim to be Christ need to follow examples that are pursuing Christ's likeness and need to be examples that are pursuing Christ's likeness. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, be not deceived, evil communications do what? Corrupt good manners. Boy, you want to you lose your spiritual stability like that? And you follow after somebody who doesn't have it. And you'll lose it. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do what? Do them. Do them. And the God of peace shall be with you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us. Why? Because we behaved ourselves, we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. How about you this morning, church? Who are you imitating? Who are you imitating? Paul says, be imitators. Paul told the Philippians, be an imitator of me. He said to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Who have you locked yourself behind? And are following you. You may not even realize you're following them. But who have you locked yourself behind and, and, and are following them as an example? Are you following a godly example this morning? As you look at your life, could people imitate you? Would someone who is trying to pursue Christ's likeness, would they want to imitate your life? Would they want to follow you? Because the dual role of a Christian is not only to follow God's examples, Christ-like examples, those people that are pursuing Christ-likeness, but our goal as Christians is not only to follow, but also to be those examples. You're not defined this morning by your wealth. You're not defined this morning by your success. You're not defined this morning by your age. You're not defined this morning by your weight, your body shape, your skin color, your nationality. 
your mental capacity. Church, listen to me. You're defined this morning by one thing. Are you running hard to pursue the prize of Christ-likeness? That's what defines you. Are you pursuing Christ-likeness? Yeah, you can be a worldly success, but the spiritual failure. And you can be a worldly failure and the spiritual success. There's one defined definition of you. Am I like Jesus? Is that what I'm pursuing? And I'm pursuing it to such a degree that I've placed myself behind godly examples to such a degree that other people can place themselves behind me. Because folks, that's the way it's supposed to work in the church. That's why the church is a body. That's why the church is, is a unified assembly, assembly of, of God's people. Because one person encourages another person who encourages another person who encourages another person who encourages another person. And on and on it goes to be like Christ. You Somebody say, well, I don't keep my eyes on man. I keep my eyes on Jesus. Well, that's good. But that's not what Paul said. The only thing you need to do in verse 15. Paul said, you need to mark those that are a good example. Paul said, you need to follow me. You need to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And when other men fail you, you keep your eyes on Christ. But you follow godly examples. And you be a godly example. So how? We understand there's a prize to be won. That prize is Christ's likeness. So how do we run hard to get it? By following after examples. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.